Well, good morning. Welcome to Mosaic. We are uh, jumping into a, our sermon series in Acts, and today we're looking at Acts 9, and the title of my sermon is How to Stop Being Terrible. <laughs> also, the Damascus Road conversion. <laughs> I hope this is a sermon for you. You may be nudging people around you. Um, If you go on um, reddit.com, which I encourage you to never do, but if you do, you may find a thread on there that is actually this title that says, someone wrote a a thread that said, how do I stop being a terrible person? That's a vulnerable thing to put out there. But this person wrote wrote in there and said, first off, this is, of course, a throwaway account. They wanted to be anonymous. They didn't want people to know all that they're about to confess, and they said, I need advice, and I need help, and I'm going to be totally truthful and honest. I'm a piece of crap. They may have said some other words there. First off, I lie a lot about anything and everything, and I do it to cover my faults and make myself more appealing to others, especially to those of the opposite sex. He then goes on to confess the multiple, multiple times in which he, and how he's cheated and continues to cheat and admits some of the most personal stuff ever that we're not going to do in the service here. But he wants to know, how do I stop being a terrible person? And, I mean, imagine yourself sitting there and writing this out to the internet and asking for help. You're in this desperate place of going, how do I stop being so bad? And it's just a vulnerable thing. Like, what would you write? What would you put out there? Like, this is my life, you know, the, the Switchfoot song. This is your life. Are you who you wanted to be? Like, is this who I want to be? And you come to the point, you say, no, I don't want to be this. I need help. And the first person's response, and this is the shame on the internet, <laughs> to have your heart be poured out there for, for, the, for the world, to, to be vulnerable, to say, I need change, I want change, I'm confessing it all. And the person responds this way. Without actually reading what you wrote, as I'm too lazy, I will give you this suggestion. (laughs) One, make a list of all the things that make you a terrible person. Two, don't do anything in that list. (laughs) The end. (laughs) What if that was our sermons? What if that was the sermons that the church preaches? And I feel like many times that's what we we walk into. (laughs) You know you are terrible. And we are telling you sometimes, just don't be terrible. Just don't do those things. That would be crushing and, and, and soul-blowing. And so we just think, oh, is that it? Just stop being terrible. <laughs> Why did I think of that? Oh, oh now my whole world's changed. <laughs> I mean, what do we do to get out of this pit of sin and misery and shame? That's what we're going to look at today in Acts 9. And so please stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to be looking at Acts 9. We're going to be looking at most of the chapter. And Ray is going to be reading verses 1 through 19 here. And let's look at God's word. Get his mic. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. 
Now as he went, went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a dis- disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done. Sorry. How much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief of priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And so, Lord, would your word, um, as true as it was then, be true to us this this morning, uh, on this, this brisk and beautiful morning in November, Lord, that we are here for a reason this morning. Let us not take it for granted. And we, uh, so, Lord, speak to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, yes, if you're just joining us uh, for the first time, welcome. We are in the book of Acts. We've been walking through the book of Acts. God's uh, gospel has taken us from town to town and from city to city. We're not answering questions right now. <laughs> That's all hand raised. <laughs> Different time. This is a school, but... Uh, <laughs> But the, the mission will be local, it will be regional, and then it will be global. Uh, and so that the, the gospel is moving outwards, right? The, 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 the mission of God's gospel is going from Judea into Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And, and I, I don't know if you know this, but we, we as a church are, are associated with a network of churches called Acts 29. And that doesn't mean that we think we should add another chapter to, to the book of Acts. There's only 28. Uh, this just means that we believe that the, the church in the book of Acts is continually planting churches and moving and growing and going out to the ends of the earth. And we believe that the church needs to continue that mission of moving and growing and planting churches and moving outwards. And so that's what we want to be a part of. That's what we're trying to do here. And so what we see in the book of Acts is you see conversions and you see people making disciples and then you see them planting churches. And it seems like the, the recipe for what the church should do and should be. And so today is the day after we, we last week we heard about the Ethiopian eunuch's conversion in this amazing uh, conversion account, and he was baptized by Philip, and then Philip just abruptly goes away. We don't know where he went. He's, just, he's gone in the story. And then Saul, who you heard about a couple weeks ago, abruptly comes on the scene. Remember, he, he stood over Stephen's death. He was watching over the, the, the stoning of Stephen and the murder of him. And I'm going to be using Saul and Paul interchangeably because his name is also called Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament. 
And what we see here today is one of the most famous, if not the most famous, conversion stories in all of Scripture. I mean, it is, it is kind of the, the bedrock of what a conversion is. And, and the Bible is pretty serious about conversions. You might say, well, do you have to be converted? Like, can't you just be a part of a church? Can't you just grow up in it? And the Bible is very clear about that, that you cannot do that. Uh, the Bible says in Matthew 18, 3, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, John 3, 3 also says, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so the, the Bible says that this, this event is monumental, right? Like that, that it's the difference between being in the church and being part of the true church. It's the difference between being, being Peter and being Judas, it, it is, it is a, a very big divider. And, and what does it mean to be actually a part of God's elect, a part of who he has called and brought into his kingdom? And so the, the, it's so easy for us in, in the Bible Belt, in, in, in this culturally Christian acceptable thing, to claim Christianity, to just say, I'm a Christian, because that's just what, it's okay. It, it's, it's, it's expected of us. And it's almost weird to find someone who's not a Christian, at least someone who doesn't claim it. And so what, we, what we're saying today is that you can't just claim it. You actually have to be converted. Has your heart actually been changed? And have you had a new birth like what we talked about um, earlier? And so now many people's conversion stories are different. And I've heard some of those and we want to hear more of those. Your conversion story probably doesn't sound like Saul's. Maybe it does. Maybe you had a blinding light. Maybe you heard a voice from the Lord. I would love to hear that story. Let's share it. But most of us don't have this story, but what we can learn from this Damascus Road event is that there are elements of this conversion that are true in all conversions. There are elements of this conversion that, that make it so this is what a, what a conversion is. And so a Damascus Road event confronts, collides, and calls rebellious sinners. That's how we're going to look at it today, that a Damascus Road event confronts, collides, and calls terrible people. <laughs> and that's what we want to answer here. And so to, to, to be converted, you have to be confronted. And so if, if I'm drunk and I'm about to get into a car, you don't just say, go on your merry way. No, you, you, need, to, you need to confront me and stop me and take the keys from me. You need to intervene and say, you need help. And that's what God does to Saul. Verse 1, it says, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder. That is a dark way of thinking, that he's breathing. The air he is breathing is threats and murder. He is so drunk on rage. And you may have met someone like this before, who's just so angry inside that he is breathing threats and murder. And it says in verse 2, he's asking the high priest for orders to extradite men and women and children from Damascus to bring back either into prison or to kill them. And in verse 3, it says, and he went on his way. And so I, think I want us to be able to be clear here. He, this is while on his way this is not that something may have stopped him at some point that made him think in, differently about it. While on his way to go kill Christians, while on his way to go murder, suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. Verse 4 says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus doesn't just say, everything you're doing is swell. 
You go be you, Saul. <laughs> you just do you. He doesn't, he doesn't affirm him. No, he confronts him and says, you are out of step with the real God, and the real God is going to blindingly confront you. Lovingly. But notice, Saul wasn't receptive to the gospel. Saul wasn't showing signs of fruit. He was actively killing Christians. And 1 Timothy reminds us of this. 1 Timothy 1, Paul is now recounting who he was. and says, I, I am the foremost of sinners, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience for an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. And so Saul right there is saying, I was the worst. <laughs> How many of us can say that? <laughs> I was the worst. I was terrible. And God saved me. I mean, man, this is good news right here for those of us who know we're terrible. Like, <laughs> Paul is saying, I was the worst of sinners and God gave me mercy to the worst to display to the world God's patience for everyone else. And so God had you in mind when he saved Paul. He said, I'm going to save the worst so that I could reach you. So you can look and go, God saved him? He can work with me. So God is saving him. And, that, and, and you might ask, well, why does God save Paul? Why does he reach a man not deserving of grace? And then that's where we now need to flip our lids and go, Every single one of us is not deserving of grace. Every single one of us is not deserving of grace, and that's the radical thing about grace. God keeps saving people who don't deserve it. He keeps going after the people we think he, he shouldn't be going after, the people who, who don't look worthy. And God saves Paul, the chief of sinners, so that you and I as Padawan sinners, in sinner training, Learning from Darth Maul and the Sith Lord of, of, of sin. Sorry, I'm a nerd. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so, that Paul, so that we could say, God saved the chief of sinners, and we could say, dang, God saved him, then he could save me. And so I want you to have one application here right now, is to not to despair. Don't despair if you may know someone who seems too far gone. Don't despair over that person you think has no hope for coming to the Lord. Paul wasn't open or interested in being, and he wasn't spiritually sensitive before he, was, he started believing. He was utterly closed and utterly cut off, and he was spiritually dead. And as John Piper says, he was not ripe for the picking. In fact, he was, he was unripe. <laughs> he was hard, he was dry, and he was shriveled up. <laughs> and that's the good news for those of us who think that maybe someone is too far gone, that God saved a man on his way to Damascus to kill Christians to then proclaim Christianity to them. I mean, that is just a, a, such a huge and beautiful flip, that grace reaches terrible people. Hmm. And so first off, has God confronted you? Has God challenged you in such a way that you couldn't go one step further without having to reconcile with your maker. And so as God said, Saul, Saul, or insert your name, why are you persecuting me? Why are you backstabbing me? Why are you lying to me? Why are you ignoring me? 
And for that conversion to be real, we have to feel this confrontation. You have to feel the darkness. Feel the darkness of what it would mean to be apart from the Lord, to know what it would feel like to to know that I'm not going to be in his presence and I'm not worthy of his presence. And Saul got literal darkness, right? He was blinded. He was blinded for a couple days. And so it wasn't an instant conversion that we sometimes think of that this blinding light comes and he believes right then. No, he, his blinding light comes and he's now in darkness for three days. And he's feeling that, that, that emptiness and that darkness away from the Lord. Uh, Paul tells the story again later in the book of Acts in Acts 26. And he, and he adds one more thing that Jesus said that's not written right here. Uh, or Luke writes it this way. And, and when he had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What we've read. But then he says, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. What's a goad? It's a weird word. A goad is a sharp stick to inflict pain on sheep who won't do what you want them to do. And so a sheep is dumb, and we will, everyone needs to know that as members of a church, <laughs> which God calls us sheep. Uh, <laughs> dang it! He's, he says, a sheep is going to go, food's over there, I'm going to go over there. And so they use the goad to bring the sheep back into what's good for them. And God's saying, it's hard for you to kick against that painful experience that I'm inflicting on you, isn't it? It doesn't feel good, does it? And so Jesus is saying to Paul, I'm inflicting this pain on you for three days so that you would feel powerless, so that you would feel helpless, so that you would be blinded, that you would feel the goad and and feel that, and you want to kick against that, you want to fight against that, and it's painful, but it's for your good. Have you ever felt that painful goading before? Some of you might, might be in it right now. That the Lord is pushing you into something you don't really necessarily want to go into. And this is a loving confrontation that the God is doing for you. And so after lovingly confronting us, he then now gets Saul on a head-on collision course with grace. And so that's where we go to our second point of collides. And so it's one thing to be confronted that you need a Savior, which is essential. <laughs> it's one thing to, to say, I, I, I need to know my need of a Savior. I need to know that. I, know, I need to know that I need a Savior. But it's just as important to actually meet that Savior, <laughs> And so we need to collide into him. We actually need to meet that grace head on. And we need to learn what grace and mercy mean. And God calls a man from Damascus named Ananias to the town where he was going to go murder and calls that person in verse 10 and 11, God says, rise and go to the street called Straight and to the house of Judas and look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. And I just love Ananias. He's the reluctant prophet who's really changed the world. And so he can use anyone, right? <laughs> Ananias go, balks a little and says, are you sure? <laughs> God, I'm not sure if you know, but okay, you're God, you probably know. But just, just to be clear, anyways, you know, that same man that you're calling for me to go speak to, he just got permission to come murder me. So, and God says, oh my gosh, you're right. I am so sorry. Oh, I almost blew my whole plan. <laughs> Thankfully, God doesn't have sarcasm. Um, He does, actually, in Scripture, but not right here. He's not using it against us. God is not sarcastic to to Ananias. Thankfully, he doesn't do that. He says, yeah, that guy, 
He's going to be a voice to the Gentiles, to the rest of the world. And I'm going to show him how much he must suffer. Trust me, it's going to be for your good. But you can see why Ananias is having trouble with this. God is saying, Darth Maul just became good. Go pray over him. Lord Voldemort is now on our team. I'm such a nerd. Losing so many points. But you can... You can I'm, not, I'm not that nerdy. I got the Klingon side. It's not even that. I don't even know what it is. It's something Trek. Shrek. Uh, we're going to get back to the sermon. We won't post this online. Uh, but this is the radical nature of grace, right? That, that God saves the worst. That God saves the most terrible. The people that you don't think could ever be brought into his kingdom, he brings into his kingdom. And you go, can I believe that? That's a true conversion? Is that real? How do, how do I trust that? But that is the radical nature of grace. In verse 17, uh, Ananias laid his hands on him and he said, Brother Saul, and you just feel the warmth and love. And he says, The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, this is the conversion time, something like scales, like, like you would think of like snakeskin, like would, would fall from his eyes and he regained his sight and he rose and he was baptized. <laughs> And so how to not be terrible this morning, if you're wondering, it is not just taking a list and doing the opposite of that or not doing those things. It, it, you need to be converted. <laughs> you need to have a whole new heart transplant, as we spoke about earlier in the service. That you have to have new eyes, that have to, the scales must fall, that have the heart has to be regenerated. It's dead, it has to start beating again to actually want to want to do these things. You can't just say, I'm going to stop this list. You have to want to want to stop doing that list. You actually have to want to want to be here this morning. God has to give us a new heart to actually convert us so that the old man is dead, the new man has come to life, and so that we want these things. And this is really why we're planning churches. We want to see more people have conversions like this. And it, it typically happens in, in church plants. And so that's why we want to go and plant more and more churches. We want to see more conversions. We want to see more people collide with God's grace. And, and if that happens, if you have collided with God's grace, if you've been confronted and you collide into it, and then he's going to call you. Even you, he will call you to proclaim his mercies. And so that transformation Paul just experienced, his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus becomes the basis for his evangelical content. Like this, this moment right here, his transformation is now the engine for which he now goes out and plants churches. And so that when God reaches people, he then calls them to work. He then calls them to what he's gonna do. And so it, it, it makes no sense to me when we think God's only called some people to preach and to sing and to teach. And yes, some are to be preachers, but some are to be missionaries. To Guam, into Kenya and to Canada and wherever, but we've all been called to be missionaries. We've all been called on this mission journey. It's like this. If you, if you try a new restaurant in Waco this week, you can think of one you may have tried already. If you try a new restaurant and it's just 
amazing. <laughs> it's not hard for you to want to tell other people about it, right? It's not hard for you to want to go say, have you tried this? Have you had this? You may even post a picture about it. It's not hard for us to, to then want to proclaim and tell of their stuff. And they've made you, in a sense, a believer. <laughs> you believe in their products and you become an evangelist for their products. And because you've been convinced of their merit and goodness, you then proclaim it. And so this is the, the, the explicit tie between our missional engagement and, and our status as Christians. Peter makes this very clear in, in 1 Peter 2. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim it, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Saved that we might proclaim, called that we might call others to it. And I understand many of us are going to go, well, I don't feel comfortable with that. I don't feel equipped with that. And it's as simple as one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Saying, I don't know, but these, these guys here know something about that. Let's, let's go talk to them. It's as simple as that. It's saying, let's go talk to them about this. And that's what Paul does. He be, instantly becomes a missionary to Damascus and to the rest of the world. And that is the, the beautiful 180-degree turn that God has now done right here with, with Saul. He takes him from persecutor to preacher. <laughs> he takes him from devastator to deliverer. It is a 180-degree turn. I'm going this way, and now I'm going this way. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell others of the beauty of what God's done. And, and in verse 20, it gives us a, a summary of what his gospel is. It says that Jesus, he just says that Jesus was the son of God. That, that's his message. And now, I know many of you don't have conversions like this. I know. <laughs> you weren't blinded by the light, and we all have different stories. Some of us may feel like our story, we've we just never known a day without Jesus. And that's beautiful. You may have happened from a very young age. But even if that's true of your story, the elements that are true in this conversion are true in our stories. Because all of us were, were dead in our sins and our hearts had to have that 180 degree turn, even if it happened at a young age and you may not remember it. But we have to admit that that, that, that change had to have occurred, that we, were, that we were dead in our transgressions in need of that salvation. And so that, that is pushing us, that is gonna push us <laughs> to to tell others of the beauty of this. And so we want to share it with our community, that we want to share it with others, and we want to share it with, with the world who desperately needs it. And so you and I, we need each other's stories. I need to hear of your rescue. That's, that, 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 that will encourage me. There may be someone here today who needs to hear of your rescue. And so we want to encourage you to share your story, your testimony with other people of what God has done in your life, even if you don't think it's a great story. It's not about your story. It's, it's not about, the, 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 I was so far gone, and now, and now I'm, he's brought me so far over here. That may be true of your, of your story. Maybe something like Saul's change. But sometimes the more powerful story is the continual story, the continual need of grace that I have, to keep, I have to keep fighting every day to believe. I have to keep fighting for hope because I doubt. That is a powerful story that people cling to and click on and, and hang on to. And so I think some of us, we need to hear that. And so I encourage us to, to share this story. And if I'm going to ask you to share this story, I, I want to share my story. 
uh, as we, we, we end here today. My story is not Saul's story, uh, but it does follow that similar pattern uh, of being confronted, of colliding, and being called to ministry. And so uh, I'll, I'll fast forward to when I was in middle school. Uh, I moved from Ohio to Texas, uh, and I was, it was a welcome move for me. Uh, I, was, I grew up, and I didn't have many friends as a, as a kid in Ohio, and so I thought this was a fresh start. And so I moved to Texas, and I, be, I quickly became friends with this uh, guy named Mike Ryan, and we became best friends. Uh, we, we hung out every single day, as kids do. And then we, uh, we, we started a band. I was a drummer. Uh, I can't think of the name of our band right now. It was terrible. Um, <laughs> we became skaters. Um, I did not learn how to kickflip. Uh, <laughs> that, that was difficult for me. Um, but we became skaters, and we hung out every day, and we started doing things that, that you shouldn't do in elementary or middle school age. Um, and so we were going down a, I was going down a very dark path. Um, while that was happening, God saved Mike Ryan. And Mike came back to me and said, Slim, I can't be your friend anymore. That's what I thought. <laughs> and said, you, you're going to bring me down. And so I, I was just angry. I was just angry at God. I felt like, I finally have a friend, and you're taking him away from me. And I remember yelling, I hate you. I hate you. And so I started spiraling. I started going into some bad stuff. I started trying new drugs. I had some suicidal tendencies. And I think Mike started to see some of that. And so he started coming back towards me. He started reaching out to me, inviting me to, to church, inviting me. To, and I just, I didn't want to hear any of it. I pushed him, I, threw, I literally was throwing him into water fountains. Uh, I was breathing murderous threats towards him. So then he got his youth pastor involved, and he started reaching out to me, and I said, I don't want anything to do with you guys. And I remember learning later that my parents were daily praying for me. And I think they, they told me later that they were daily praying that I would reach past the age of 18, because <laughs> it was not a good stage. I was a mess. I was doing anything but seeking after Jesus. But Jesus, as the hymn says, sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, running hard after sin and finding how empty and, and, and hopeless and dark it was. God didn't send a blinding light, but he, he used Mike Ryan, he used this, this youth pastor, and he used my parents' prayers, and he used the, the preached word to bring me back to himself. And when I came back to Jesus, <laughs> I just remember it felt like a heavy blanket was just lifted off of me. I just, I felt like I had been breathing underwater through a straw for a while. And I came up and I was like, <gasps> like you felt the love and the warmth of a savior that you, I just had been dying for. And I didn't even know I was dying for it. And that's the beautiful thing about grace. Is that he came after me and he used these people. Who, I haven't seen Mike Ryan in, in 20 years. I've never seen him, but he, he played a huge part in my story. 
God gave me a, a new heart to where I actually wanted to go to church. <laughs> I actually wanted to read my Bible. <laughs> I was born again, as they say. But I just remember going down that and going, looking and saying, I felt like I was at a fork in the road. And I remember seeing two paths that I could have taken. And one path I was definitely on, and God just plucked me off and put me on this other path. And I just remember at that point I said, I don't want any other you know, student to go down that path. I was in eighth grade. And so I committed then, I knew then I was going to be called to pastoral ministry. Because I knew God had used, had used pastors, he used spiritual leaders, he used my parents' prayers to reach me, and I don't want anyone else to go down that path. And so from that point on, that's why I, I've, I was committed that time, being called to the work of what we're doing, to just give out certificates of hope to people. That this is not the end of the story, this is just the end of the chapter. And God's got a new chapter for you. Then tell you about what Jesus has done for you. But just like Saul, <laughs> when that happened... Ananias and people like him were asking, is this real of you? I mean, you were cool. <laughs> and I, I lost a lot of friends, but then Mike invited me back into his church um, and introduced me to what a, what a, what a family really was, or what, a, what a church family really was. Um, but I remember years later, I was preaching at my grandfather's funeral, and this will tell you who I was. And I remember some of my family members uh, who I hadn't seen in years, said, aren't you Jeff's boy? Aren't you the, aren't you, you're Ryan? You're the middle son? Ooh, no way. <laughs> They're like, no way. Of all the kids, I never would have thought you'd become a preacher. <laughs> I'm just like, like, wow. And I was like, yeah, yeah. They're like, no, I, I, this, is, this is crazy. You were terrible. <laughs> I was like, yeah, thank you, thank you. Uh, yes, I was rather rebellious. I mean, it just blows my mind. <laughs> this guy was just hammering it. And he's like, just goes to show you, God can use anybody. <laughs> and I was like, thank you for making my point. <laughs> Feeling pretty bad right now, but, <laughs> but that's absolutely right. If God can reach me, <laughs> he can reach anyone. I mean, that's, I feel like that's my ministry now. I think like something God's teaching me right now is that my, in my job description, it's to be a chief repenter, to be the one who repents first and most often. That all I need to say is I'm a sinner in need of grace, and I'm going to point you to the one who's given grace. And God just keeps showing me that over and over and over again. And so I want to ask you, what is your story? I want to hear it. I want you to share it with people. We want to, we want to know it. I mean, have you felt that weight of sin and that emptiness of that, that confrontation that Jesus has, has, has inserted himself into your life to where you said, I, this is an empty way of going, that my heart is now restless until it finds its rest in thee? Is it, have you found that it's hard to kick against the goads? Are you feeling the sting of your sin? Then you are on a collision course with grace. And I want you to see, would you, would you see that offer today? Like today, we want God to meet you. And I want you to go back to that, that, that phrase that we heard from the beginning. Think of the beauty of what God said. We said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? When did Saul persecute Jesus? He didn't touch Jesus. But Jesus so identifies himself with you and me that when you touch these people, you touch Jesus. And you can see, it's, it's as if Jesus is saying, you, you, you can touch, you can, you, can, you can hurt me, but you can't hurt my people. It's like, you can talk about me, but you can't talk about my mom. 
<laughs> you, you, can, you can hurt me. You can crucify me on a cross, but you will not touch my people. And that, think of that love that he has for you, that he's so identified himself with you, that, that he's willing to stand up for you. <laughs> To stand with people who, who are terrible, <laughs> for people who run hard after their sin. And that's who he dies for. And he makes us not terrible. He makes us beautiful. We're all created in the image of God. But he makes us, he takes us from death to life. And so if, Paul, if God can save Saul, if he can save Slim, <laughs> he could save you. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would.